Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing The Nun 2 from 2023, directed by Michael Chavez, written by Ian Goldberg, Richard Nang, and Akella Cooper, starring Thaisa Farmiga, Jonas Blaquette, Storm Reed, Anna Popplewell, Caitlin Rose Downey, and Bonnie Ahrens. In this film, after her confrontation with a demonic spirit in the first Nun film, Sister Irene learns that her job isn't quite finished yet, as the demon is still on the move. If you're new to the show, we are going to talk about this movie spoiler-free for the first 15 or 20 minutes as we just discuss some background info on the film. After that, we're going to play some transition music and go into spoiler mode where we walk through the plot in detail and review it. So if you haven't seen this, once you hear that transition music, it's time to duck out and go see it in the theater. And uh, yeah, we, we reviewed the first film in 2019. It's been a little while. But uh, we've reviewed the bulk of the Conjuring universe, except for the three Annabelle movies. So we better get on those at some point here, buddy. I know. It's pretty crazy. We've avoided them this long. I think we need to cover one between now and next September so that it can be a candidate for next sequel September. Hey, uh, speaking of sequels, this is the conclusion to sequel September. Is it? Oh, yeah. Right. But I think <laughs> we probably <laughs> are going to have like a mega sequel September this month because I'm pretty sure the next three movies we're going to cover are sequels. So we got to re- cover Saw 10. That'll probably come out in October. Mm-hmm. Our episode on it will come out in October. Then it's a Friday the 13th coming up, so we got to do one of those. Mm-hmm. And then Exorcist Believer comes out. So I'm pretty sure there's going to be about... <laughs> Seven or eight episodes of sequels in a row. That's wild. <laughs> Sorry if we yeah. went overboard. Was <laughs> everybody? I think people are into it. I, I think, I think people like sequel September. Yeah, they're into like these uh, later installments and these franchises going deep in there. I think so. I think so. At least a certain certain crowd is. Yeah, yeah. I, it takes a lot for me to commit to like watching future installments of a film. Like, yeah, I gotta really love the first one. I feel like even. Uh, uh, even if I loved a film that came out today, the chances of liking the sequel, I just naturally like, uh, it goes down by like 20, 30%, right? For sure. I mean, the yeah, my expectations automatically decrease. Yeah. There are not a lot of new films. I like. I think like A Quiet Place and like Terrifier, like recent horror films that have done uh, like part twos and part threes. But otherwise, I feel like that's not something we see too often anymore, is it? Oh, it's, I mean... With like new I would horror say, films? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're discussing one that just came out in the theater. We just mentioned there are two more sequels coming out in theaters. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's happening. The Conjuring franchise is going strong. Yeah. The Conjuring, I feel like, has created this universe and is doing it. Uh, I feel like The Exorcist, though, and like The Saws, I almost count those as like old films uh, or old franchises that are still like, kind of kicking around. Yeah, sure, sure. But, I mean, Insidious, there was a new Insidious movie this year. Yeah. You mentioned Megan a minute ago. There's another one of those coming out in Oof. a year or two, probably. I guess, yeah, yeah. So. Shit. All right. Yeah. Franchises are strong still, I guess. Still happening. Yeah. Um. Hey, man, a couple of announcements. First, uh, speaking of The Exorcist sequel coming up, we have another giveaway for everybody. I didn't even tell you about this. Oh, actually. cool. I'm excited. Yeah, The Exorcist is celebrating its 50th anniversary, and to celebrate, we are giving away codes to The Exorcist in 4K on digital. Nice. So if you if you want the 4K UHD edition of The Exorcist on digital, 
You can be either one of the first listeners to email us at podcast at horrormovieclub.com or one of the first Patreon members to message us on the Patreon app or the Patreon website. So, again, if you want to get Horror Movie Classic The Exorcist uh, on digital, 4K, just be one of the first five to email us or one of the first five patrons to message us on Patreon. Um, And another fun announcement... Uh, we have a Letterboxd account now under the name Horror Movie Club, all one word. I've logged every movie we've covered on the podcast there and added our combined star rating. So if Ashwin gave something a two and I gave it a three, it's going to be a two and a half on Letterboxd. I'm delaying adding the ratings by a few weeks for anyone who doesn't want our ratings to be spoiled for them. I know that can kind of be an element of surprise for some listeners and some listeners even bet on what we're going to rate a film. And I've added lists like our top five and top ten episodes. Uh, I'm still populating some of those, but most of them are out there existing as a list. Our recent episode we did on 2023 VOD and streaming horror. Uh, I listed every movie we brought up in that episode on a list. So could be a cool resource for some people. Uh, if you're on Letterboxd, go, go find us at Horror Movie Club and add us. And if you're not on Letterboxd and you like movies, you should get Letterboxd. Yeah. Just... I- a- great way to keep track of what you watch i'm not sure if i'm on there but it's a you think it's a pretty popular platform yeah yeah it is and i mean i feel like it's one of those apps where people have their complaints but i think people who use it are like i love it i yeah can't envision a world without it yeah you keep track of what you watched what you want to watch that's really cool handy. yeah yeah it's so hard to remember all that stuff half the time so yeah uh, yeah great to have one place to track all that agreed agreed um Let's talk about the movie some more, and then I'll, I'll do one other announcement. <laughs> okay. You're going to spread the announcements out. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, okay. I spread them out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, Michael Chavez has only directed three feature-length films, and they are all in the Conjuring universe, depending on who you ask. But 2019's The Curse of La Llorona, we covered that as if and said, like, this is in the Conjuring universe on our episode. Yeah, I was assume so. But the, the the people who made it are like, no, this is technically not a part of the Conjuring universe. Hmm. I say bullshit, but... <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, isn't it referenced in another Conjuring film? They bring up Annabelle in the movie. Okay. And the priest, who is the main character, one of the main characters in The Curse of La Llorona, is a priest... Like that plays the same character in Annabelle. Oh, okay, okay. So it's yeah. like you can. This is it's part of the universe, whether you want it to be or not. Yeah, exactly. This is what you just did. Yep. Anyway, Chavez directed that in 2019. In 2021, he directed The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, and this year he directed The Nun too. Isn't that wild? He's directed no other film except for this universe. It's crazy. I think that makes him the most popular director within the universe. He's done the most uh, Conjuring universe films. Which James is, Wan has done two of them, and if you believe uh, our argument that the Curse of La Llorona is in the universe, Chavez has done three. Yeah, that's wild. And those are only three feature-length films. Yeah, uh, he's really pigeonholed there. Yeah, yeah, and, very interesting. And uh, Curse of La Llorona and that third Conjuring film, I think we both were kind of like uh, middle ground on those, right? I think the Curse of La Llorona is the lowest rating I've given to a film in the universe. I'm pretty sure I just gave that a two and a half or a two. Mm, okay, okay. Very boring. Yeah. And uh, the last Conjuring film I wasn't too impressed with. 
You weren't. I was. I thought it was fine. I think I maybe gave it a three, three and a half. Oh, okay. That was one that like kind of felt like a detective story. It was very much a thriller. It, yeah. it was a different feel than the other two Conjuring movies. Than right. Basically, the, the rest of the universe. Okay, okay. So you're going into this, uh, you're really down on one of his films, but kind of, uh, you didn't mind the last one he did. Yeah, so I kind of had middling expectations because Curse of La Llorona, I did not give a positive review to, and the original, The Nun, I only gave it a three. Ooh, a three. That's actually pretty high. Uh, <laughs> I know. For The Nun, it, it yeah. didn't have great reviews. Yeah, it had like a 24%, I think, under Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Yeah, you weren't a fan of The Nun, I don't think, oh, okay, from what okay. I remember, right? Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, I, I don't remember being too taken by it. So, yeah, my expectations are pretty low going into the second one. I just feel like The Nun, uh, the storyline so far hasn't really pulled me in outside of it being like a really cool-looking villain. Yeah, that's totally fair. I think many critical reviews voice a similar sentiment. Yeah, not not a lot of meat on it. Yeah, agreed. Um our writers here, Ian B. Goldberg and Richard Nang, uh, they kind of worked together in the past. They both wrote on Autopsy of Jane Doe, uh, the horror film Eli from 2019, and they write together on Fear the Walking Dead. Anna Kella Cooper wrote Hellfest from 2018, Malignant for 2021, and Megan. Um so yeah, some familiar names here, and of course there's Thaisa Farmiga, who reprises her role as Sister Irene from the first The Nun film. She is of course the sister of Vera Farmiga, who stars as Lorraine Warren in The Conjuring films. And Thaisa also is in The Final Girls. Right. Have you seen the age difference between those two? It was like 21 years. I think it's close to 30. Is it 21? I thought it was 21, but oh, maybe okay. my math is wrong. That was just off the top of my head. I was Because I did check that earlier today. I yeah. Like, How can these two be sisters? I know. I know. I was thinking that the whole film. Like, no, I, I probably remember that wrong. She's probably like a niece or like a daughter or something. But no, that, that's just like a very uh, big family. It's a, Yeah. I mean, she could be her mother easily. Yeah. Right, right. Um. Yeah, and then Storm Reed is a new cast member. She was in 2020's The Invisible Man. She was in this year's Missing, which is a sequel to the 2018 screen life film Searching. Oh, I didn't realize that was a sequel. I, I just it saw is. that on a plane a few weeks ago, and I was really impressed by, by her in, in, in that film. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it, but I really liked Searching. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't, I didn't see Searching. Um, yeah, very similar concept. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah. And she's got a recurring role on HBO's Euphoria. Do you watch that show? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, right. She's the younger sister of uh, Zendaya. Great show. Okay. You, you ever watch that? No, I don't. It feels like it's just, I'm too old. <laughs> yeah, I feel a little weird watching that sometimes. It's it's a little disturbing. <laughs> um, and then Bonnie Aarons returns, reprising her role as Valak, the demon nun, which she first appeared as in The Conjuring 2 in 2016. And of course, she was Valak in the original The Nun film. Uh, yeah, Rotten Tomatoes, 52% from critics, 74% from users. But killing it at the box office, it, on a budget of $38 million, it has a box office so far of $204 million. It was first place at the box office for three weekends in a row. Wow. Yeah. This universe just makes makes money, man. It makes so much money. They don't even it's need ridiculous. to try. I know. I know. They just have these uh, yeah, villains that they can just like build these whole uh, stories off of and people go out and see them. It's yeah. crazy. Uh, yeah. The last one made, I think, like 300 some million 
on a budget of like 22 something so yeah i wonder with this one being out for three weeks do you think it'll hit that 300 mark hmm good question i feel like it's not quite gonna get there okay yeah yeah I mean, i'm surprised it's turned out after their views on the last one but yeah you're right like they, they don't really need to try that hard they I really don't think they do <laughs> yeah um it, it the makes French- me Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, it, it makes me wonder if these guys have like uh, too much power where they can just put shit out and know that people are going to come and it's going to be a huge financial success. Like how much power do these studios like Atomic, uh, what is it? Atomic Monster? Yeah. Blumhouse? Like uh, that, it, maybe these guys are going around like unchecked and, and they've just got too much power and people are just like kind of brainwashed into going out and seeing their films. I think there might be something to that, man. I, I I think some of these people are very smart, very talented filmmakers and clever writers sometimes. But I think a little bit, I, I do have to wonder if there's some like resting on your laurels here and there's just some stuff that's not very sharp. Yeah. And it's kind of like, normally we don't really get too far into reviewing the film on the top half of the podcast but here we go it it does just feel like it's lazy or they're phoning it in yeah and then james one with we've talked about malignant a lot or just like what's going on here he he seems like i was thinking today like what if he's one of these dudes who's like really smart at some things but just really dumb at others like Mm. Yeah. You ever know those people who are super book smart, but street smart's like zero? They don't have any of that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> some yeah. of the stuff they they do in their writing is pretty clever. And then some of it's like, that's so obvious that you should have done that differently. <laughs> yeah. How could you have done that? Yeah, yeah. And you never know uh, if it's like them being really smart and doing that purposefully or just, uh, yeah, not knowing any better. Yeah, I, I I just got to thinking a lot about this movie today and wondering, like, are they so in their own heads about this that they don't see it clearly? Or do they see it perfectly clearly and they just yeah. they think it's good? Or they're just like, you know, whatever. The script is okay or let's make some changes while we film. And yep. it's not going to matter. It's going to make hundreds of millions of dollars. It is. It is. Yeah. Because cause, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think the reason why, why do people go out to see these films? Is it... Uh, the marketing, these like really smart trailers, probably that they put out, the hype they build up, the familiarity of, of the franchise. Uh, I don't I don't know if it's necessarily like you're going there because you know they're gonna tell like a smart story or something. No, I I think it's the equivalent of going on a roller coaster ride. Oh sure, <laughs> there's like a level of predictability that you're going in for. Yeah, which yeah. I you know going into the non, I was actually kind of excited because my expectations were low. I was just yeah, like, sure. I know what I'm gonna get. And I'm fine with that. I'm excited to be a little scared and see some creepy stuff. Yeah. And that is exactly what I got. And I think that there is something to that formula. Whereas, yeah, maybe they don't have to try that hard. It's not that they don't have to try that hard. They make the scares seem easy because the Conjuring universe has gotten it down. They just got the formula down with the scares. Yep. I do think... they work hard and they're very adept at that element. Mm-hmm. But the story, I feel like they're like, eh, yeah, whatever. whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That comes later. Characters, uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> no one's here for that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I will list all the films in the universe and I'm going to include The Curse of La Llorona. Yeah, that makes sense. The Conjuring came out in 2013. 
Annabelle next in 2014, The Conjuring 2 in 2016, Annabelle Creation in 2017, The Nun in 2018, Annabelle Comes Home in 2019, uh, Curse of La Llorona also came out in 2019, The Conjuring The Devil Made Me Do It in 2021, and now here we are with The Nun 2 in 2023, and all these films take place between 1952 and 1981, with The Nun story being the oldest. These films take place in the 50s, mm. and The Conjuring movies take place from like the 70s through 80s. So it's a 10-year-old franchise now then, eh? It's a 10-year-old franchise, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this July was the 10-year anniversary of The Conjuring. Yeah. I don't know why. It seems like it's been around way longer than that. That, that just seems shorter. It does uh, feel like it's been around a little longer. Yeah, given all those films and stuff. Uh, and in, in terms of spinoffs, Annabelle, uh, this one, there was one other concept that was brought up. Maybe it was in the second one, like a lanky man or something. Do you, do you remember that dude? And I always thought they were going to make a, a spinoff. <laughs> yeah, with it's him. the Crooked Man. Oh, the Crooked Man. Yeah. <laughs> I love the lanky man, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was really excited to see that dude. <laughs> Uh, oh, the yeah. lanky man! The the lanky man sounds like it would really be a character study on a guy who's struggling with his body image. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really fun to watch. Uh, that that never happened though, right? That never happened. I feel like there are still you know possibilities that maybe it could, but I, I doubt it. Mm, yeah. Um, and and to to follow up on something, the reason that. The Curse of La Llorona is considered by the creators not to be in the universe is because one of the key producers, Peter Saffron, who wasn't uh, a producer on any, who was a producer on every one of the films, was not a producer on that. Oh, okay, okay. Got it. So So it's like one dude missing, so it's not part of the universe. Yeah, I guess it's not part of it, which is just like, (laughs) all right, well, that's a stupid reason. Yeah, it really is. No one else cares about that reason but you guys. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the music here is done by our old friend Marco Baltrami, who has scored many of the films we've discussed on this podcast over the years. Uh, cinematography by Tristan Nyby, who previously shot uh, one of our favorites, The Dark and the Wicked. Uh, and a couple of Billie Eilish videos, some TV series, etc. And it's produced by Peter Saffron and James Wan. Any other cool. background info on this thing that you want to share? Um, Some technical thing is that this is the first conjuring film that's filmed in panavision all the other oh, films okay uh, we're very passionate about panavision so that's a big deal for you yeah i know i was talking up that finish i'm not even sure <laughs> what that means but for anyone who uh, notices that kind of thing did you notice that no i don't really even know what the, the that is yeah same all right um the other question I had for you, yeah, in watching this, and uh, I mean, this is like religious horror, and like one, is there still room in uh, pop culture for religious horror? And then two, do you think this, like the Sun franchise is supposed to be like a take on The Exorcist where uh, you've got a religious uh, figure uh, kind of like chasing down a demon potentially? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, 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 it. The Exorcist paved the way for that kind of film. I, I do think this is a demonic possession film like The Exorcist. I think whenever we think of a demonic possession film, The Exorcist makes us think of somebody who's like bedridden and somebody performing an exorcism. But right. the Conjuring universe has really merged like demonic possession with haunted house type stories and so is the insidious franchise sure 
Yep. But yeah, it is. It's a it's religious horror. Um, and if clearly there's a place for it because this has made Tons hundreds of, of millions of dollars over the past 10 years. Yeah. Not only is there a place for it, but there's we're also learning there's a place for like Jewish religious horror. We had a oh, attachment right. come out this year. A couple years ago, the vigil came out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it has anything to do with religion, but there was a preview for a film uh, in advance of this movie. The name escapes me right now, but it's like a horror movie based on kind of like Indian traditions. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. It Lives Inside, I want to say oh, is what cool. it's called. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to see that one. You saw the you saw the trailer for it? Well, I close my eyes <laughs> when I see a trailer because <laughs> I don't want anything spoiled. And I, yeah. I, from what I heard, a lot of the scares in The Nun 2 were in the uh, trailer. trailer. So yeah. I'm glad I didn't watch the trailer for this. But I could hear what was happening. Sure, sure. Yeah, that that was. Uh, I, I think that that's where the Nun Two did a really good job. That leaking that or that trailer coming out like months ago has just kind of made me excited for this. So that, they they know how to do a really good trailer. Uh, have you you went back and saw it? I didn't, but my friend oh. who I saw it with bemoaned the fact that some of the scares were spoiled for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's unfortunate. Um, and the idiot who was on his phone in the front row the whole time loudly proclaimed in the middle of one of the scares that this was in the trailer. <laughs> oh, yeah. You just need that guy in there to let the audience know. <laughs> this was the first time I was in a theater with like a truly distracting phone user. Basically, like five like teenage-ish guys, like all of them on their phones. Yeah. Down in the front, it's like bright white screen. It's like, <laughs> That's terrible. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, and don't yeah. your parents like? <laughs> I sound like a real old man, but <laughs> I, I would be like, if you're going to the theater, you turn <laughs> you your turn phone, off. phone off. Yeah, I know. <laughs> if there's anything I fail in parenting, it, it's not going to be that. <laughs> it's going to be. And if I find That's out the they're doing it, they, they aren't allowed to go. I'm not driving them to movies. Sure, you can disown them at that point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's just you know we've talked about this idea of like religion being on the uh, on the downward spiral a little bit, or like losing its hold of uh, populations around the world. So it's interesting to see like these some of these films in horror keep uh, keep it going. And then I, I always wonder too with these films, uh, who it attracts? Does it attract? Because I, I assume like this one obviously is based in uh, a lot of like Christianity. Um, how as a Christian? Do you react to like this idea? I mean, I mean, it's been like in Hollywood for so long. This idea of like God and the demons and these angels and stuff. Um, but like, uh, yeah, is, is, that, is that is that is that do people find that offensive at all? Uh, are you asking like me as a Christian? Because I don't know if I consider myself. Uh, yeah, yeah, you. I, I, I guess because because you went to like a Christian school. Yeah, right? I mean, like, I, I grew up Catholic. Um, yeah, or I, like I don't know if I still consider myself to be a Catholic at this point in my life, but sure, I don't think it's offensive because I think the whole lot of Catholicism is that it's like half fear. Yeah, sure, uh, sure. That's embedded. You know, in any devout Catholics listening might be angry at me for saying that, but I don't think I'm out of pocket. Like, yeah. Hell is a very real thing. The devil is a very real thing, at least the way I was brought up in the church. Yep. Um, And yeah, it's kind of a, you know, the parallel and like they're meant to strengthen like God and like this is the light and this is the dark. And the mythology there is so rich and so old that it's just a well of horror and stories and creative thinking. Yeah, sure. I don't know that it's ever really going to get that stale. Yeah, 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 I guess. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's like a natural 
uh, setting for for stories of like good versus evil that plays exactly. out in horror. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I mean, just like all the imagery in the Bible of what hell and the devil is like is right. Like some of the most gruesome stuff in literature. So yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I don't know. Part part of me watching this felt like uh, maybe this uh, ties to like a narrative that would have worked in the seventies, eighties, nineties, but now like uh, as as uh, fewer and fewer people are like you know really deep into religion i wonder if this is losing its hold but yeah you're right it's still making a bunch of money and still telling a familiar story i mean a movie like the exorcist really milks the issues of faith and religion and the crisis of faith and this movie just barely it's just like checking (laughs) them off like it yeah a, a list of things to do in a movie about religious horror. Exactly. It really doesn't sincerely tackle the issues. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's not a, a deep confrontation or meditation on religion like The Exorcist could be thought of as. It's just yeah, a popcorn movie with religion as the the bones of the story. Sure, and that's been like a, a lot of conjuring. Like even uh, Ed and Lorraine in in part one and part two. Like that's a lot of. Uh, what they're talking about too but yeah you're right it's less yeah it it does seem more like there are two people who are really into it and they know how to deal with this stuff Um, but that that, that's about it whereas like the exorcist it's like a real kind of battle between uh, yeah this person and his faith right yeah right yeah and even though that there are multiple nuns in this story it's not really an examination of of faith yeah you know the uh, echo of that is there. There is a story about that, but it's so weak that yeah. I don't think you could even really exactly put much uh, put much into that. Yeah, yeah, it's buried pretty far back. Uh, it, yeah, just this year, it seems like uh, yeah, with the nun, then you have like two Exorcist movies. You, you got the 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 was it the Exorcist Believer? Yep. Oh, okay, and then the Pope's Exorcist uh, for a few months back. Like it just seems like religious horror is like making a big uh, comeback this year. Huh? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, saw. Um, well, I don't know if there's anything to that or not. Yeah, yeah, me neither. Just, I, I feel like when it comes to sequels, it's just like hard to differentiate any themes from the main theme of just recycling <laughs> old ideas. Recycling stuff that worked. <laughs> Using yeah. IP, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, anything no, else or that, should, we, should we get to spoiling? That's all I had, yeah. You got a how connection for us? I have that delayed announcement first. I just oh, want to shout out to some, some new patrons that we haven't shouted out in quite a while, so... Thank you to Paula F., Maggie, Andrew B., Chelsea B., Brian B., Zoe M., Hudson, Hannah, Benny, Kevin R., Amanda F., Sarah C., Mochi, and Dr. Johnny Shitballs. <laughs> say shitballs? Dr. Johnny Shitballs, yeah. Nice. You heard that correctly. That, that one tickled me when I, when I read it. Uh, thank you guys for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. It helps us out a lot. And uh, just great. All around good. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the support. Uh, we need that money to figure out what Panavision is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's going to cost us. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, well, whatever. Okay, let's spoil this thing, but uh, can you hold on oh, one? Oh, wait, oh. the Ohio connection, right? You, oh, you're right. I forgot the Ohio connection. Okay. All right. The Nun 2. God, I'm fucking all backwards. All right. Our Ohio connection, as always, comes from Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. And Alex connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. And if you live in Ohio, you should go check out the Jukebox. They've got great beer, 
great drinks, great cocktails, and great food. Alex says The Nun 2 is a gothic supernatural horror film directed by Michael Chavez. Serving as a sequel to 2018's The Nun and the eighth installment in the Conjuring Universe franchise, the ninth if you ask us, it was released on September 8th, 2023, alongside fellow film sequel My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. (laughs) And you thought sequels weren't a thing anymore. Starring Nia Vardalos and John Corbett. Corbett is an actor and country music singer best known for his roles on the TV shows Northern Exposure, Sex in the City, and Parenthood. In film, he is known for roles in My Big Fat the My, the My Big Fat Greek Wedding franchise, Sex in the City 2, and the Two All the Boys film trilogy. John Corbett's father was raised in Bel Air, Ohio. Cool. That's awesome. Great connection. Alex is sick of making connections for the Conjuring universe, he <laughs> yeah. says. <laughs> yeah. So well, I told them we unfortunately have all the Annabelles to do. Exactly. <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm sure there are going to be uh, a number of more films coming out in the next few years from these guys. Uh, yeah, I think they'll find a way. Yeah. I, I think this this film even points to another one of those. Oh, shoot. All right. Okay, man. Let's spoil some stuff, but uh, do you mind holding on one second? My, my kids want me to play this quick game with them. Oh, sure. Be right back. All right. Okay, man, I'm back. Hey, how'd the game go? Was that right? They wanted me to like uh, stare at this toy goat of theirs, um, and then they like left the room, and the goat came to life. So <laughs> that was pretty freaky. It was chasing me, but I, I ran outside, and it got distracted by some grass, and it just started eating the grass, and I was <laughs> I was safe. <laughs> I think you just need to go outside when yeah, there's a goat yeah. chasing you. Anytime you're facing a demon goat, just uh, go outside. The, <laughs> yeah. the grass, grass is them. the weakness <laughs> yeah, of yeah. the demon goat. Ah, uh, man. I think I'll have to get that 10 bucks back from your kids that I gave them to get you uh, in that room. <laughs> <laughs> That's... How did you rig the whole demon goat thing? <laughs> <laughs> I you know, guess you're a man of resources with yeah. this $10. I was, t- I was tipped off. All right. All right, this film opens up on a young altar boy as creepy things begin happening in his church. He tells the priest someone else is in there with them, and eventually the priest is lifted into the air and immolated at the hands of Valak, the demon nun. In the aftermath, we see a shadowy figure walking away from the church, and their shadow looms large behind them as the shape of Valak. What did you think of this opening? I, I thought it was a really fun and uh, suspenseful opening. Really cool setting with the, with the church. Uh, great usage of the lighting, and uh, I think that it was like benefits uh, Valak uh, with her uh, or, or with the the demon's uh, outfit that it's wearing of with the black and white. Like it, it really blends into the shadows really well, and so you're always kind of drawn to the dark to try to see that like uh, face come out. So uh, really good in the basement too with with the basketball uh, or the ball or whatever. You, you think it's gonna come back, but instead the glass smashes and stuff. So kind of takes your expectations, uh, sets you up for some things that you think are gonna happen. Uh, but plays on those and then um yeah great like sound design too with like the quietness and then like kind of like jumping forward with the scare and the veracity of the the preacher catching on fire so i, I liked it what, what did you think that right there is the description of why people come to see these movies they that is what they do you described it very well they 
they make you think that one thing is going to happen, and it kind of does, but it happens a little bit differently than you expect it to happen. Sure. And they use existing horror movie tropes, tropes that they have helped establish. <laughs> and they, they do make a minor, minor tweak, and it's enough to make you be like, oh, I, that's not exactly what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. The supernatural movie, like one of its key tropes is a ball being tossed back from like the darkness or an abandoned space back to somebody. It happens in The Shining. It happens in The Changeling. Did it happen in The Conjuring in like the basement or something? I think it may have. Yeah. yeah. I think it may have. Yeah. Um, I think in The Conjuring episode, we specifically discussed that trope (laughs) and like we we brought up The Changeling. We brought up... Ah. uh, the shining. the shining, yeah, but yeah, it's just like there they're doing it again, and it's something. It's so simple. Like I expect the ball to come back, and it did once or twice, but then something else happens. So mm-hmm. that's just what they do with all the scares. You think something's going to come at you from behind because it always does in these type of jump scares, but it doesn't, or it does, but just not when you think it's going to happen. Yeah, so exactly. They've become masters at that, and it does work. Yeah, I, I can see how some people would just be like, "This is dumb," but <laughs> if you like jump scares, it works. They're they're good at the jump scares. Yeah, yeah, they've mastered that. Uh, did you, you did you like the opening? Yeah, sure. I, I didn't think it was uh, mind blowing, but it did. Ex- this was what I came to the movie for. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it's not just that they they've mastered the jump, but they're good with the creepy imagery and the lighting and mm-hmm. the production design around the scares and everything. Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, the quietness that they put in there, like before a scare happens, and like they do that like throughout this film. Uh, that's was that's something that kind of like got me here really well. Like when he's in the basement with the ball, like it's just like dead quiet. And, like I, I don't know if in your theater, like it felt like it was like pin drop silence. Yeah, it did. It did. I mean, yeah, the manipulation of the the sound design is is key to the jump scares. Right, right. But yeah, then maybe it gets overused later. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I, I again, I think it be, it comes down to whether or not how, what your taste is for jump scares. Sure. If you just eat them up, you're not going to get sick of it. But yep. if you're if you're a little tepid on them, then yeah, it might get overwhelming <laughs> or repetitive. Yeah, good word then. So after this intro, we catch up with two of our main characters from the last film. It is four years after the events of that film, and Sister Irene is now at a convent just doing nun stuff, and Maurice... <laughs> <laughs> the uh, villager farmhand type guy from the first film is now a handyman at a boarding school where he has befriended a young student named Sophie as well as her mother Kate, who he seems to kind of have the hots for and maybe the feeling is kind of mutual. Hey, did you recognize these two from the last film? Sister Irene and Maurice? Yeah. I did, yeah. Did, yeah. I hope that you at least recognize Sister Irene. <laughs> She's no. a screen queen in Thaisa Farmiga. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I didn't. Uh, but oh, like, it, yeah. it, took, it took me about like a while to realize. Oh, these guys are from the last film. <laughs> oh, oh man, yeah, this one that kind of looks like Vera Farmiga. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, I, I'm surprised you you remember their characters. That that that's impressive. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So we get some moments right away that I meant to endear. Maurice to the audience. He's likable right off the bat. He's often defending young Sophie from some of the other girls at school who are bullying her. 
we also learn some other background info, like the head of the boarding school is a strict older woman whose young son, Cedric, passed away many years ago. Um, and despite the audience being endeared to Maurice from the get-go, we see a young child making deliveries enter his home, I believe, right? And then mm-hmm. we see him having some sort of spaz out or seizure, and the child is then killed by Valak right after that. So we already get some hints right out the gate that Maurice is possessed by Valak, and we basically already know that from the last film, right? Because that had a post credit scene where... Ed and Lorraine were exercising Valak from Maurice. Oh, yeah. Right. This movie is weird to me because it it does this. It's like, we already know from the last movie Maurice is possessed by Valak. But, like, they kind of play that close to the vest, but kind of not. It's just a, a weird approach. Like, yeah. is there suspense in that we don't really know where Valak is or who how this is happening? I mean, or are we meant to all be aware and up on the franchise, like, yeah, that yeah. we know Maurice is possessed. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like you definitely identified Maurice correctly and remembered, like, the end of the first son because I had no recollection of him. And so when I saw him in this scene, like, yeah, I, it still wasn't clear to me that he was possessed at this point. I thought maybe uh, Vlock is, like, hanging around uh, the school, uh, just, like, possessing random people or haunting random people. But for you, it was pretty clear by this point that, like, it's this dude. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's a, a testament to the juggling act they have to do here because they've got two types of viewers. One who may not have even seen the first film or saw it and doesn't remember it. Yeah, and did and, a podcast on it. And has a podcast about horror movies but still <laughs> yeah. doesn't know who Thaisa Farmiga is. <laughs> dude, she's wearing a head thing. You, you, can't, you can't even see anything. It's a nice haircut, though. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's, we'll give you a pass. I had thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the people who are like up on the franchise and know exactly what's going on across the whole Conjuring universe. Yep. Yep. So yeah, it, it's just a weird approach to take. Like, do you make it a secret or it's like an open secret? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in the know, you're in the know. Otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So so you knew like at the beginning of this film when you saw Frenchie that oh yeah this this dude's already messed up because of what happened in first then i mean i didn't think right away like hey look out little girl he's possessed but i quickly remembered like oh yeah he, they they exercised him in the last one and if a lock is here again then this is probably how uh, okay okay nice good call um however irene sister irene is is pulled away from her peaceful existence at the convent when the church summons her for help in a case that involves a series of church officials being murdered or made to look like they killed themselves all across Europe. The church expects the events have something to do with the demon Valak that Irene defeated a few years back. So Irene travels to meet with one of the Catholic Church's foremost librarians, and tagging along for the ride is her friend at the convent, Deborah, who is very much in doubt of the Catholic faith and was sent to the convent by her father after her mother was killed in a racially motivated attack that set her childhood home ablaze as sister deborah is black along their travels irene has a dream that maurice is possessed by a demon another clue that he is in fact possessed by a demon (laughs) and she has various visions of Valak along the way including one particularly notable scene with a bunch of magazines at a magazine stand flipping open their pages to create a myriad of uh like cumulative images that eventually create an image of Valak. 
Did you see that magazine thing in the trailer? The trailer? Yeah. No, I didn't. Uh, okay. I, th- I thought that like looked visually cool. Um, it, 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 it didn't feel like too suspenseful because like uh, it, it, was, it was kind of like, was she dreaming or like having a hallucination or something? Um, but visually it looks pretty cool. What, what did you think of that scene? Yeah, I had mixed feelings about it because visually it did look cool. But as soon as they start flipping, you know they're going to create an image of a lock. Yeah. Right? And it keeps going for like a full minute. And you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Get there. Like, I, we know where you're going. Exactly. You're Just watching like slowly come together. You know <laughs> yeah. Coming. yeah. But still a fun, creative idea. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, the whole sequence of her in like, I guess they're in like France now and like on these abandoned streets, like chasing down uh, that kid uh, who was at the, in the opening shot and stuff. Uh, I like, were you into her character or like this journey she was on or like her friend or, or anything like that? Like, were, were you like, really, did, did you like them? I guess. No, I mean, I didn't dislike them, but the character journey here is just so weak. We get very little background info on either of them. Honestly, we get more background info on this new character, mm. uh, Deborah, than we do on Irene. But it really doesn't, like, come back home to roost all that much. It's right. just everything about their characters is pretty weak. And it is. And this little journey that they're being taken on is kind of uninteresting. It's just like, okay, this is the Nun 2, and the plot so far is the Nun is back, or the Demon Nun is back, and the church has called Irene to go find her again. Mm-hmm. But they take like 45 minutes to do that without anything truly happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like the first part of this film is like missing a lot of any urgency. Like it's just, this is going on in France and these people are like hanging out. Uh, I don't even know where they were. But uh, yeah, no one's like kind of rushing around anything. No one's like under like any kind of like crazy attack or anything. It's uh, it's pretty, pretty slow. Yeah, it's weird because they keep the regular, they keep scares at regular intervals, mm-hmm. but it's like Irene has a dream or Irene has a vision. It's not really like the plot is moving forward. The plot moves very slowly here. It's like it everything does. is just establishment of establishing what's going on for the first 45 minutes when it's really not that complicated what's going on. We don't <laughs> I know. need this time here yeah. with these characters. I agree. I agree. Especially if like what you're giving us doesn't really. Uh, matter too much uh, like yeah, yeah the, the background story of like Deborah or uh, yeah it's like they're, they're giving you things that don't really pan out yeah they're not setting up any real like character nuance that is gonna be important exactly. later or yeah, yeah. Um, Irene and Deborah eventually learn from a church librarian that these killings seem to be going across Europe with a specific destination in mind he believes that Valak is a fallen angel and she is searching for an artifact called the eyes of Saint Lucy St. Lucy, as we've learned earlier in the film, is the patron saint of the blind. She was murdered by pagans who tried to burn her, but when she wouldn't burn, they cut her eyes out and her family kept her eyes. So Valak is searching for these eyes to make uh, itself more powerful. Okay. And we learn that the eyes of St. Lucy were last known to be at a monastery that is now... A boarding school, dun dun dun. The boarding <laughs> school where Maurice works. Yep. I don't know how a pair of eyes would make Valak more powerful. Same. I guess we're just meant to buy that. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the last film too. Like, I think uh, the blood of Jesus played a huge role 
and doing yep. something. So I feel like in each of these movies, they're finding like some kind of relic of, of the religion and it's got like some power that can, I don't know, it sounds like it's of a, a value to... Yeah, to like be vaguely wielded for good or for bad. Yeah, yeah, it's unexplained at all. And then, yeah, like like, like you mentioned, like uh, she's finding this out, like it's taking her an hour to figure out like, oh, I got to go to the monastery or not the monastery, but the, 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 the school, right? Yeah, the ex-monastery current boarding school. Yeah, but yeah, like you as the viewer, like have known this whole time that like, she, that's where things are going down. Yeah, so. it takes us forever to like, for our main character to realize what the what the plot of the movie is going to be when <laughs> yeah. we've known all along. And yeah. I know that I think we debated recently in an episode of like what what joy is that in a viewer when you know what's going on and a character doesn't, and we even yeah, exactly. texted about it afterwards. Yep. That is a key element in a lot of story writing. Like we know what the character does, and then the the journey is watching them find out, and how is that going to impact them? But this is just not a satisfying journey of discovery. It's like it really isn't. Of course, like you're just learning the premise of the movie. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It, yeah. It's just kind of boring. I agree too. And then uh, I think that's such a trope, right? Where uh, someone in a movie, like uh, something happens, and eventually they come to a library where they find it in a book, and there's some explanation. Uh, I, I just feel like that happens so often, and it makes it feel very much like the Da Vinci Code or something, where they're just like on this treasure hunt to find sure. this thing before a demon can find it. Yeah, it's not, not a very scary premise. Did you like the Da Vinci Code? Uh, did you read the book? I think, yeah. When I read the book, I liked it. I, I feel like uh, now it wouldn't be that interesting, though. Did you like it? I really enjoyed it. And I read, like, Angels and Demons and maybe one of his other ones. Yeah, it was a page-turner. It, yeah, they are page-turners. I actually really like this element of re- religious iconography and mysteries, and there were secret orders of people that did these mysterious things and preserved things, places for hundreds of years. Yeah. It's fun. I, I don't really, like, believe that this there's much truth to it, but I think it's fun. It, it, yeah, it can be fun, but, like, uh, do you feel like it it belongs in horror? Like, does that element of, like, hunting down, uh, yeah, things tied to, to like, Christianity or something that are now, like, uh, demons chasing them, like, is that a scary premise? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it belongs in religious horror, or can, and we've discussed in the past, especially with the third Conjuring film, The Devil Made Me Do It, how the franchise can merge supernatural horror with thriller. Yeah. Uh, structure and the thriller structure often contains uh, like a MacGuffin, like a an item of s- specific importance to the bad guys and the good guys, maybe. And sure, uh, a good portion of the plot is about finding it. So yeah, I think having a religious artifact as a MacGuffin in a supernatural thriller theoretically can work. I, I don't think this movie does it particularly interestingly, though. Yeah, I'd be interested to see where where that works because. To me, that spells more like treasure hunt, mystery, thriller, less like a demon- like a demonic, uh, some supernatural killing thing is going to happen. Did you ever see National Treasure? No, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> did you like that's that one another- too? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a whole genre, man, and, and people love those films. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm on the fence of if uh, horror uh, should incorporate those elements because that, that's more like murder mystery or like uh, scavenger hunting or when the world is uh, Carmen San Diego type vibe. Yeah, and this movie doesn't even. Do- <sighs> This movie never really plants a foot in a in a specific story element. It just like 
brushes up against the surface of story elements. So this isn't really any sort of like puzzle to solve. It's like they get summoned, they go there, the librarian tells them exactly what they need to find <laughs> and exactly where it is. Yeah. And they do a little bit of like puzzle solving to find out where it is once they get there. Right, right. But I yeah, it's just yeah. not particularly interesting. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, speaking of that puzzle solving, the, the, the reason the puzzle solving isn't that interesting is because it's basically the only clue we've given as to where something could be hiding in this school for the entire movie. And, and it happens now. So back at the school, the bullies coax Sophie into entering the old rundown chapel, which is a forbidden area of the school. And they tell her to play a game that feels not unlike a Bloody Mary or Candyman type game where she has to stare at the image of a goat that is crafted onto a stained glass window. They tell her it is the devil and that when the sun hits it at a certain angle, the goat's eye glows red. And they tell Sophie that if she looks away while the eye is glowing red, the devil will, will come for her. So the girls, of course, lock Sophie in the chapel and she's briefly trapped in there before being rescued by Maurice. But while she's in there, she, of course, has a vision of the lock. And uh, speaking of this chapel, later on, the head of the school, Madame Laurent, goes into the chapel as she believes she hears a child in there. She goes and she sees visions within of her deceased little boy, Cedric. He's holding an incest... Uh, incest? <laughs> I had no idea what it was called when he said that. It's like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> it's an incest. <laughs> yeah. He's holding... It's like an incest... Incense? Incense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's called a thurible, which... Okay kind of looks like a little lantern on a chain that altar boys sometimes use to spread the smell of burning incest. Incense. (laughs) (laughs) Burning incest is even worse than than just the... um, Burning incest, yeah. (laughs) They're trying to spread the smell of hot incest throughout the church service. Anyway, he's swinging one of those things and then the, he's, of course, a vision created by Valak, and Cedric then uses the thurible to whip Madame Laurent across the face several times and eventually, like, bludgeons her to death with it, right? Mm-hmm. What did you think of that scare? I, I liked it. That, that kid uh, looked pretty scary, uh, and, and that was a cool weapon to use. Uh, I think both that kill and the girl we saw earlier who uh, got attacked by a nun, these like, pretty, uh, a little bit more gruesome than I would have thought like you you see a decent amount of blood here like bones breaking and stuff so uh, i i liked these kills what what did you think i did like that as well it felt pretty vicious i think with a supernatural entity you could just get like oh they like point their hand at them and then they die and they fall (laughs) Uh, (laughs) or even the priest at the beginning like he was lifted into the air and caught on fire right i mean it's gruesome to burn to death but in practice the way it's executed is just like oh okay yeah but there's a specific brutality to a vision of your own son bludgeoning you to death with this right. like blunt object on a chain. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I did too, and it was uh, you know again another example of creepy suspense building in a dark space. You don't know where the threat's coming from, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right, yep. It's around this time that sisters Deborah and Irene arrive at the school seeking the eyes of Saint Lucy. And with the help of Sophie, who recounts the game that the Mean Girls made her play, they realize that the light from the goat's eye in the stained glass window 
falls upon a spot on the floor under which the eyes of St. Lucy are buried. So they now have the eyes, but things at school have come to a head as Valak seems to have almost completely taken over Maurice. She terrorizes, school, terrorizes the school by summoning some kind of goat demon that chases the students around and at one point morphs into the deceased Madame Laurent uh, and you know just freaks the kids out. I liked that what, goat, man. That that goat was pretty scary coming down the stairs. Oh man, I wasn't as big of a fan of the goat, but my friend Adam, who I saw this with, yeah, he was. He was he was pro goat, and it sounds like you are too. So. Yeah, I feel like you don't see too many uh, goats in the Conjuring universe, so uh, that was like something different. Uh, like I, I think this has been a film of expectations, and like you kind of know the plot beats, and you've been waiting for like these people to show up at the school and stuff. Uh, so the goat was like finally something unexpected and it was cool because the, the goat was something you saw in the window and suddenly she looks out the window and the goat's gone. And then at the same time, she, uh, the other sister's like looking upstairs and she sees some creature and your mind goes like, oh shit, is that the goat? And it is. It's wild. That's a good point. That's a good pro goat argument. Like you, <laughs> <laughs> you come to expect certain things from the Conjuring universe and that is not a thing I expected. Like, right. Uh, Go to something uh, like uh, Like... <laughs> humanoid goat demon to be yeah. sprinting after the kids. Yeah, right, exactly. And in like in so many films uh, a goat is a demon, right? Like we've seen that a few times. Yeah, like yeah the, the goat is like a symbol for the devil. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, thought, I thought that was uh, pretty neat, but you weren't too scared by this? I wasn't too scared by the goat, but when the one girl is like looking for like the ghostly Madame Laurent and then she pops her head through a hole in the wall and like grabs the girl's head and just starts like yeah. I think like blood or some sort of black stuff starts like coming out of her eyes. It was that was creepy. That was a good jump scare. I think that was, that was in the trailer too. Oh yeah. Yeah that was yeah. Yeah there's some decent jump scares along the way here. Agreed, agreed. So amidst all the chaos, the bell tower in the chapel partially collapses and Valak appears there and faces off with sisters Deborah and Irene in the form of a possessed Maurice. They are able to subdue Maurice using the eyes of St. Lucy as a weapon, which essentially just means like holding it up and <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think it's gesturing similar. with it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's similar to those uh, Infinity Stones from uh, that other movie. Sure, yeah. The, the Marvel yeah. film? The, yeah, I you think just, we all know the one. You just point it at people and it does things. Uh, but this seems to nearly kill Maurice. And as Sister Irene comes to the aid of him as he's collapsing, he comes back to life, still possessed by Valak, and steals the eyes of St. Lucy, which he is now using to his advantage to come become even more powerful. Um, and Valak attempts to kill Irene in the same way that... It. She is Velaka she? I don't even know. I don't know, yeah. In the same way that Velak killed the priest in the beginning of the film by like floating him into the air and then setting him on fire. However, not unlike St. Lucy, uh, Sister Irene does not burn. And it is at this point that we realize via a montage um, that the visions that Irene has kind of of the future or like certain, like a sixth sense, you know, she's keyed into something not of this world. That was a trait that was also shared by her mother, we learned earlier in the film, and also a trait of St. Lucy's. So it dawns on her that she must be a descendant of St. Lucy, uh, who cannot burn, not unlike St. Lucy, and therefore are even better able to yield the power of St. Lucy's wait, eyes. Wait, wait, what are the traits that she has with her mother that has with uh, St. Lucy? 
This like second sight or whatever. Oh, oh, like an imagination. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one could call it that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> got it. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, but the ability to like sense things or see things, um, not of this world, or like maybe visions of the future, stuff like that. Okay. Okay. Uh, and there's something else that happened in that montage that I didn't even catch, but I'm gonna wait till the end of the movie to go back and touch on that. Okay. Sister Deborah, who has always been doubtful of the Catholic faith, sees this moment and believes it to be a miracle that Sister Irene did not burn. And Irene can now see that Sister Deborah now is stronger in her faith, and so she asks her to play, pray with her over the barrels of wine that are in the room as this, at one point in the building's past, used to be a winery, I believe, as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this building has been very busy. Monastery, winery, Monastery, now winery, yeah. boarding school. Yeah. <laughs> briefly, briefly a strip club. Uh, their prayer turns the wine into the blood of Christ, and it bursts from its barrel, soaking the lock in Christ's blood and defeating her, presumably for good this time. And again, Christ's blood is kind of how they defeated her last time. Right. The film resolves with Maurice back to his old self and reuniting with Sophie and her mother Kate, with whom he presumably has lots and lots of meaningful and fulfilling sex in the near future. <laughs> it's frustrating when the characters have like a love story, but it's like you never get enough of it. It's like, yeah, do, do they? I think they like each other, but am I just assuming that? Like, uh, yeah, it was, there was like a lot of eye contact going on. Yeah, uh, there's no satisfying exchange there that really lets us know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they're gonna yeah, get I, busy later. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was a missed uh, opportunity for them to like develop some characters out more. I agree. I agree. Again, it's like the, the story just brushes up upon things and never really like yeah hammers them home or gives them any attention. Right. Um, I think Sister Irene gives him a concerned look before the movie ends, implying that he may still be possessed. But that was when my, as I was telling Ashwin before we recorded, the projector in my theater just stopped. Mm-hmm. No, no credits or anything. But yeah, does that is that look that you're talking about just a look that she had the whole movie? Is that just Tessa trying to act? Taisa. Oh, Taisa. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, what I saw was uh, the last look I saw on her face was kind of a loving look back at Maurice, but in a plot analysis that I read, it was a bit of a like worried look. So I mm-hmm. thought maybe that was a final moment cut off when the projector cut, but I'm oh, not okay. sure. Like it, it, it might not be over. Potentially. Yeah. Like it yeah. might not be over. And then there's a post credit scene that features the, the Warrens getting a call from the church asking them for help. And you can kind of assume based on what happened in the post credit scene of the last film, that this is a call about a young man who is possessed, and that's Maurice. And mm. the theory online is that the fourth and final Conjuring film featuring the Lorraines will be them exercising the lock from Ooh. Maurice. So these two films are going to merge potentially in the next Conjuring film? Yeah, theoretically. And, you know, I don't know if we mentioned it, but the lock came from... The Lock's origin is in The Conjuring 2 from 2016. Oh. A, a demon that, that plagued uh, the family in that film and Lorraine. Oh, yeah, right, right. Yep. Yeah. Um, did so. you? Oh, did you find this ending kind of anticlimactic in how they defeat uh, the Lock? Yeah, it's not super. I don't know. I guess maybe. It has all this wine bursting from the barrels. 
and just like pr- pray with me and we'll <laughs> I'll destroy the yeah I'll right and this her. brings Deborah's story full circle in that she doubted her faith and Sister Irene even said like I'm not sure if your faith is strong enough like to come with me on this journey yeah and uh, you know so Deborah proves herself here I don't really know I wasn't expecting a super climactic ending but I was fine enough with it I guess yeah how about you uh, what I read about the first nun and like some scenes I saw, uh, I feel like it was a more uh, climactic like battle at the end. Here, it, it felt like a lot of people just running around. Then the demon comes out there, and then they just pray really hard, and it goes away. Um, which, yeah, I mean, that 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 like uh, yeah, that just seemed like kind of like a cop out or like yeah, thoughts really, and prayers. Yeah, thoughts and prayers. <laughs> they saved the day, actually, this time. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I just thought it was kind of unimaginative. I think if they'd given more weight to what you're talking about, Deborah and like her journey and like believing in faith, that didn't just rely on seeing one person not burn in a fire. Uh, then, yeah, maybe I would have been more bought into that, like her, like this huge like kind of character moment for her, where like suddenly she's uh, she she's her faith is restored and she's using that as a power. But I, I, I didn't feel that. Had they given more weight to either of these women's journeys, you could give more weight to Deborah's journey struggling with her faith. You know, Mm -hmm. come back to it in the second act and have her struggling and maybe want to go home or like this is all a bunch of mumbo jumbo. You know, you can't just touch on it at the beginning of a film and never bring it up again and then have it be some resolution at the end. Yeah, that saves the day. (laughs) Yeah, like the the movie has to have a structure and it, it... does have a structure of events but the characters have to have their structure with their journeys as well and Mm -hmm. that's what this franchise fails to do sometimes and we should have also made Irene's journey struggling with her own identity and her mother being sent away for being crazy for having visions as not just some like last minute reveal but like something she struggles with throughout the film and then it can be this glorious moment where she realizes hey, my mom's not crazy, I'm not crazy, we are descendants of a saint. Yep. But instead they just do it in this quick montage. It's like they think the joy is giving you little tidbits of information, but really the joy of a movie is going on a journey with characters. And I think touching back on how some of the people who make these movies are really smart in a lot of ways but really dumb in others, those are the things I don't think they understand about the stories they tell. It's like you can't just reveal these little bits of information and have that be a big deal you've got to weave it into yeah a into a story a meaningful arc, yeah. story about a character right right otherwise it has like no place yeah uh, and yeah i think when that happens i think the taste you're left with like i felt more annoyed than anything with like those characters because like they did have those one or two notes of them whereas that that bully like i thought she was great like there was nothing to her she was just like this uh badass like a student who like loved to torture other kids and i thought she was the most likable character in this movie because like they weren't trying to like jam uh or like trying to like give her like this artificial uh storyline yeah, you know, it's almost like a. there are two approaches. You can just have there be a character and that you just get to know through watching her react to events. Mm-hmm. Or you can have a character who has a well-thought-out storyline and you hit those bits of her character arc the, at yeah. all the appropriate times in the movie. But when you go in between and you half-ass that approach, yep. it makes for a character who's not as easy to buy into. Yeah, yeah, and kind of boring. 
All right, man. Well, here's some stuff that I didn't quite understand about this movie or had theories on or whatever. Okay. So I read somewhere online that at some point in that montage of Irene realizing she was a descendant of St. Lucy, we also get a glimpse of Lorraine Warren from The Conjuring 2 with glowing eyes. Huh. Not unlike some of the glowing eye imagery that's been in this movie. Yeah. That leads us to believe maybe she is also a descendant of St. Lucy. Oh, So perhaps the Conjuring universe is trying to tell us that these two real-life sisters, the the actors who are (laughs) real-life sisters, are also blood relatives in the Conjuring universe. Interesting. Yeah. I did not catch that at all in that montage, but... I didn't either. Somebody did online, apparently, so... And if I saw those glowing eyes, I would have jumped to the assumption that uh, Lorraine is Valak. Right, possessed by Valak. Yeah, Yeah. Valak. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, we'll, we'll find out in, in The Conjuring 4. There very well may, may be a scene where their their storylines overlap. I don't know yeah. quite how they would do that. Like, Yeah. And Lorraine's like, aging type stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Has Lorraine, I don't remember her ever like talking about her family, so I, I feel like there's room for them to squeeze something like that in. Yeah, and I mean, Lorraine has visions of the future, and she's in touch. You know, oh, she's yeah. a medium, so yeah. that would explain that element of her, her cool. skill set. Cool theory. I like it. Yeah, it is cool. And if that's true, that is the coolest thing that this movie has to offer. <laughs> they totally buried the lead by making it like a single flashing moment in a montage mm-hmm. that if someone like glances at a cell phone shining bright white in front of them, they would miss. So like, again, if that is the, the biggest thing that this movie has to add to the Conjuring universe... yeah. Don't make it an Easter egg. Like, make right. it a feature. Yep, yep. It's just frustrating to me. Like, what does this movie have to offer? I know. <laughs> the, anything this movie has to offer that is meaningful, either to the franchise or to the characters, is treated with so little respect. Right. It's just Not given an its afterthought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really disappointing. You know, uh, admittedly for me, it wasn't even clear that uh, she was, uh, that like they had drawn a lineage between St. Lucy and uh, the main character in this one. Was that clear to you? Yes, but, there, you know, there are times where you miss things in movies where I'm like, oh, buddy. <laughs> but I totally understand. I think it's pretty easy to have not caught that in this movie because it's not really given any weight or significance. It's just like a quick... Oh, check. What do you think of that viewer? And then we're on to the next thing. How did they show that? Like, I, I saw her on fire one second, and then the next minute she's not on fire. And then, like, does she say, "Oh, hey, I must be related to that person"? No, but it's like a montage of memories of her mom and Saint Lucy, and oh, I don't, I can't explain in words how they convey that idea, <laughs> but they they do via the montage and via the fact that she does not burn. Oh, got it, got it. You know, I yeah. always kind of zone out on montages when when it's like something in the past. So yeah, I come back to the storyline and then I'll, I'll pay attention again. Sure, sure. Yeah. Another thing, they, they mentioned that Valak could be a fallen angel. Mm-hmm. I think I'm wrong on this because I think I, th- I read somewhere that they said Valak was present at when Lucy, St. Lucy lost her eyes. Mm. But I was wondering if Valak was St. Lucy as oh. a fallen angel and trying to get her eyes back. Interesting. And that's why her eyes are always yellow? Cause yeah, because they're, they're missing. Oh, huh. But cool. I'm not totally sure. And if that is true, yeah, 
again, why did they leave it for just like something to theorize at the end when the movie's over? Like, yeah, tell us. Yeah, yeah. I feel like potentially, like with these two elements, they could. This movie could have just been a setup for like an amazing like next movie, right? And, and uh, there's a chance the next movie validates like some of the shortcomings of this film. The, yeah, there's there's quite a chance. But as we discussed in our Halloween Kills episode, I really hate if a movie just feels like a bridge mm. from one to the next. Like I agree. It can't just be setting things up for an ultimate conclusion. Like It yeah. has to be conclusive and resolute on its own. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, it's, it's not... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a movie that's got to stand on its own for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or maybe not conclusive and resolute, but it's at least got to stand alone as an entertaining movie and yeah. instead of just something that's a setup. Yeah, right, right. But yeah, that's really interesting because those are like interesting, uh, or th- those are ideas that were thrown out there that they never really gave enough uh, attention to. And yeah, it would be cool if they follow up with it on, on another film. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. What do you think, man? What do you think of the movie? Strengths, weaknesses? Yeah, I, I think the strengths are the, are the same from the last one, which are few. It's just like, uh, I, I, I think... Uh, Vlock is one of the coolest uh, conjuring villains. Looks looks really great, and in this one looks looks awesome. I thought the demon goat too was really cool, and some fun jump scares and great sound design. Uh, yeah, things that we've come to know this franchise for. I thought were present here and worked. Uh, th- those are all the strengths that I could think of. What, what about you? Same. I think that the scare sequences are done well. Again, like we said, they do a good job of making you think you know exactly how the scare is going to play out, only to find out that you don't, and that they get you anyway. I enjoyed the Marco Beltrami score, actually. I thought it was like a big movie theater blockbuster score, and yeah. I, which was really fun and just fit the movie really well. Did you, uh, I, you know, the, the opening, like you've got this really scary atmospheric opening and then we jumped to like this sunny, like field outside of like where the sisters are and the music kind of changes. Uh, at there's certain points where I felt like tonally this movie was a little bit all over the place. It, it did feel like very big blockbustery, uh, music sometimes, but that felt like out of place for like a horror film sometimes to me, but you never felt that way. I think what tonally was weird and was was also like story-wise weird that they just took so much time to establish like Sister Irene is at this convent now and like this is how life is at the convent yeah. and these other characters are at a boarding school and this is how life is at yeah. the boarding school exactly and it's like <laughs> what does all this have to do what's with the, what does it accomplish it's yeah. just like is this going to be like a period piece folk horror type yeah. movie no it's not so like right. move on and i was like getting bridgerton vibes with the what was going on at the school between those two yeah it almost seemed to be really reveling in its period piece yes yeah for sure uh which it's really not a period that is not the selling point of the movie you know mm-hmm. i agree uh yeah, it just happens to take place in the past. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think yeah. When in the story bounced like those kind of areas, it, it felt off tonally. But, but yeah, Bel- Beltrami's always good. That's a good score, for sure. And I actually thought another strength was, which I'm always unsure about, especially when she first appears on the screen. I'm like, is Thaisa Farmiga a good actor? Your your Ashwin is shaking his head no, <laughs> but I think she gave a pretty good performance here, and I, th- I think everyone gave a decent performance. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I would consider it a strength. I'm not saying it's an overwhelming strength, but a strength. Yeah, 
she uh she just hits me as someone who's a little bit stressed out like uh i, I don't know what her character is or what, what journey she's going through um she's like got this sense of like uh the world is ending or like there's things uh afoot and like the people around her like trying to come up to pace with her uh so i, I don't know i kind of felt like maybe one note a bit on the acting uh from her side but i, I think that's the writing more more than her probably <laughs> I love the uh, that phrase. The world is ending, or like there's things afoot. Yeah, I'm picturing yeah. <laughs> like an apocalyptic doomsayer on like a card, or like on a apple crate on a street corner. Yeah, exactly. The world is ending, <laughs> or, or like there's something afoot. Yeah, there's something weird happening here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just uh, I I couldn't get into her, and like half the time she's like having uh, visions and stuff. So uh, I felt like maybe she wasn't present uh, entirely, but yeah. uh, you, you liked her. You thought she got brought a good performance. Yeah, I think so. I, I thought it was a good performance. Um, I feel like uh, they didn't give Storm uh, Reed much of a uh, yeah much much uh, they, camera time. They didn't give her much camera time. It. Uh, I hesitate to say this, but it felt a little bit like they were just trying to force a black character yeah. into a very white Conjuring universe. Yeah, I think they just did that with Insidious, uh, The Last Insidious, too. I think that's a, a trend there. On, or yeah. 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 Although, you know, I might need to rewatch from Conjuring universe. It may not be as white as I think it is now that I... I mean... I think it's pretty white. It's still pretty white. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm wondering if some of the Annabelle movies aren't quite as white, but we'll find out mm. when we yeah. examine that one. TVD. Um, yeah, not meant to be a real diss on the Conjuring universe, but it's just kind of, it felt a little clunky. And, it, and I think that's really hard because you do have to work in actors who are not white and you have to tell stories that are not white stories. Mm-hmm. But it feels like every movie's trying to do that right now, which is good. But then you can only see so many characters that feel like they're really forced into a movie as mm-hmm. a PC afterthought before it just starts to get a little like, ugh. Yeah, uh, exactly. I don't know. It's a sensitive subject. I, I am pro-diversity in the movies, but when it just feels like yeah. squished in there to check that box it's just a little gross yeah and unfortunately that's what it felt like here uh and it's weird because she's like one of the first characters we hear from in this film uh after the opening and then yeah i feel like her storyline just like drops to the bottom the rest she's they, just there playing like a supporting role and then at the end somehow like her faith is back and that helps they completely yeah i, I think the biggest mistake in this movie was making the little girl and her mom who is a teacher at the school characters at all like (laughs) stop wasting the time there it's not maurice's movie it should be irene and deborah's movie yeah and we should have time of the two of them on this like you know you can make it almost a little bit like the road trip like buddy film yeah sister sister Oh, yeah. Sister Act. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, both going on their parallel journeys of who am I, who am I, and who am I as yep. a woman of the church. Like, exactly. Deborah, like, I don't even know if I believe in any of this stuff. Yeah. And Irene, I wholeheartedly believe in this stuff, but, like, what's wrong with me? Am I weird? Was my mom crazy? Am exactly. I crazy? There's two 
cool opportunities for stories there that are totally disregarded. I know, I know. I know, and it makes no sense. Uh, In the favor of a romance that doesn't even <laughs> that isn't really come there. to fruition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 so strange, man. The, the amount of time they spend on like Sophie and and uh, Frenchie or Maurice. It's like the total opposite of putting all your eggs in one basket. It's yeah. like, let's put an egg in this basket, an egg in that. Maybe let's yeah. put, could you make half an egg in that basket and <laughs> half an egg over there? It's just yeah. spreading yourself so thin without giving anything the, the attention it deserves. It's a real shame. Yeah. That the, it is a shame. I think you could have easily made this a much better movie. Yep. Centered on, on two strong characters there rather than a bunch of weak characters. Man, I, I really wanted uh, Sophie to die. I, I think I, I kind of hated her the whole film. Did you like her? Um, I didn't particularly like her, but I didn't particularly hate her either. Ah. It did feel like a like a a main character could have easily died here without any. Yeah, it, it felt like a good opportunity to kill off a main character. <laughs> yeah, it's really strange. There are actually not too many people died in this film, right? Like maybe three, like the priest, uh, that one girl, and then the head mistress. Yeah, which one girl died? Uh, the one girl who's making a delivery. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, so it was, it was yeah, pretty... low body count, and anyone yeah. who died didn't didn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Which you hear but... that little delivery girl? You don't matter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not, um, not a good day for her. Uh, no. But yeah, I, I think on top of like the the, the terrible character development here, uh, I, I think you called it out too that the story just didn't have a lot of momentum or urgency in their in the early parts of the film. Even like, do you feel like when they finally arrive at the school and something like they, they get into like a fist fight with a uh, Vlock uh, as, as Maurice. Like, do, do you think it like suddenly kicks into momentum then or did it still feel pretty slow to you? Yeah. I mean, it certainly kicks into momentum. I think there's things that could have be done, been done to make that climax a bit more effective, but yeah, I, I certainly wasn't saying nothing's moving forward anymore at that point. Yeah. yeah right. Right. If like kind of stopped. Yeah. Um, all right, man, zero to five, uh, St. Lucy eyeballs. What do you give this movie? <laughs> I give this exactly two of St. Lucy's Lucy's eyeballs. Uh, I think, like, despite the effect of scares and in the in the visuals that we know this franchise for, and uh, the fun jump outs, uh, it felt very stereotypical. And I felt like the story lacked any real urgency, and it gets kind of bogged down uh, with too many characters um, and some dated uh, story structure where it's just people going around trying to find things so that they can destroy things. What about you? That's fair, man. Uh, despite all my bitching, I give it three out of five uh, St. Lucie eyeballs. I think while the story is lackluster and poorly told, the film delivers the jump scares and creepy imagery that fans of the franchise, including me, have come to expect. Mm. And I think it's an effective thrill ride and little else but (laughs) largely it is based on my expectations of it being little else that i was able to enjoy it oh sure sure so you went in with like pretty low expectations low expectations is the key to life (laughs) yeah moderately surprised that's good yeah i'm gonna write a book about that yeah (laughs) i think you're onto something uh all right man anything else uh no that's it that's all i got All right, well, that has been our discussion on The Nun 2. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to get in touch with us, you can go to horrormovieclub.com, click on the social link drop-down. There are links to Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. On all those places, we'll tell you what movie we're going to cover next week. There's also a link to our Discord server. You can jump on and 
chat with fans of the podcast and fans of horror movies and we've got a great community there so come join if you feel like chatting horror movies with people on the internet um let's see our art is done by amy may pop art you can check her out on etsy.com by searching amy may pop art all one word and if you want to support the show financially and gain access to some additional episodes and even some video episodes go to patreon.com slash horror movie club or go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the big orange patreon button and you can subscribe for a dollar a month and until next time if one of your family members has their eyeballs gouged out, uh, hang on to them and pass them down from generation to generation just in case somebody needs them in the future. <laughs> like a demon. It's yeah, yeah, maybe it's a dangerous, you know. Yeah. Depends on who gets a hold of those eyeballs. Yeah, it's like a race. Uh, a race to the eyeballs. Oh, that should have been a good subtitle for this yeah, movie. <laughs> a race to the eyeballs. Yeah.